Hi everyone, Will here. We talked about this subject in greater length on our last Patreon episode, and I'm not sure if a goofy podcast about the Buzz Lightyear movie is the ideal place for much more, but the U.S. Supreme Court's recent decision to overturn Roe v. Wade is still the issue that's at the forefront of so many people's minds, so I think we'd be remiss to not acknowledge it at the start of this free episode. It's obviously a very scary and frustrating thing when such an unpopular decision can be mandated by an institution as illegitimate as the Supreme Court and affect so many people's lives. It's doubly scary and frustrating when the nominally liberal institutions that should be fighting back act so powerless. There's no silver lining or good news here, but there is the knowledge that this decision does not represent the wishes of the vast majority of people in the U.S. and beyond, and the hope that maybe we can all work together even as institutions fail us. To that end, we've included in the show notes some links where you can support abortion funds in the U.S. Please consider donating. And now, on a completely different note, on with this episode about, yes, the Buzz Lightyear movie. Welcome to Michael and Us. I'm Will Sloan, here as always with... Luke Savage. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, This is, I suppose, in some ways a special episode uh, in the tradition of our uh, Rise of Skywalker episode. Real heads will remember. Uh, This is a Michael and Us at the Movies episode. There is just feet for me uh, at this moment, a bag of popcorn that we got and didn't finish while at the movie. I, by contrast, had my entire bag of large popcorn, and I feel very bad about it. I've been trying to be on the straight and narrow lately i'm trying to lose that last 10 pounds and i feel like i've just set myself completely off course but as this movie teaches us there really is no course is there that the course is the one that you take that's right everything happens for a reason anyway i've been pressuring will to do an episode on the blockbuster uh buzz lightyear origin film lightyear for a few weeks now And I haven't wanted to do it. The reasons were twofold. One, I thought the movie probably wouldn't be bad enough for us to have anything to talk about. I thought it was just going to be a pretty normal, mediocre children's movie. And it is. That was correct. But the other reason was I just didn't want to see it. I'm 33 years old. I don't like going to see children's movies for the most part. Uh, And this fell in that category. My strong instinct was that this was going to be what I think it's safe to call an intellectual property film. So this was going to be like Space Jam, A New Legacy, The Simpsons in Plusiversary. For people that didn't see it and didn't hear our episode on it, Space Jam, A New Legacy is a film where where the corporate entertainment monopoly uh, that created it is basically a character in the film. It's basically a narrative device. And all of your favorite Warner properties are in the movie as well. And they are in the movie as properties. So this is a kind of breaking of the fourth wall, or I don't know, we're m- maybe at the sixth or seventh wall uh, uh, by this point, where whatever artifice uh, once separated entertainment companies from the entertainment that they were creating uh, has collapsed. And even just on a surface level, the entertainment is being presented to you openly as a as a product, as a commodity. So in our current era, you know, the commodity commodity form of culture uh, kind of lays itself bare. And that's what Space Jam A New Legacy does. So given what the basic pitch for this film uh, was, 
I think you were the first one to tell me about it. I think it was uh, back on the episode, I don't know how many months ago, uh, where we talked about The Third Man. I think that's where you told me about this movie. And right away, I was like, okay, Buzz Lightyear origin story in the year of our Lord 2022. It's going to be painful, uh, but that's that's perfect fodder for our podcast. The other reason I wanted to do this movie is because, uh, like so many things these days, it has uh, triggered the right and has become, you know, yet another absurd uh, fault line in the culture war. Yeah, so more... More on this, you may know, you may realize that we're currently living in the midst of a widespread moral panic over groomers, and the Disney company is central to this moral panic. It it all seems to have started with the furor surrounding DeSantis's Don't Say Gay bill in Florida, which the Disney company, which has an enormous stake in Florida, first, I think, tried to ignore, tried to, tried to not address it, and then... Uh, rather clumsily came out in opposition of the bill after it became clear that uh, silence was death in this case. And that's led to them becoming uh, yet again, you know, this is cyclical. Oftentimes Disney, because they are uh, the prime manufacturer of entertainment for our children, cyclically they become at the center of some kind of right-wing moral panic. I mean, I'm old enough to remember back in the 90s when they had a gay day at Disneyland. There was a big controversy around that. In the right, they're they're just often perceived as this like boogeyman of liberal indoctrination because they've made a certain amount of movies where I don't know Mickey and Donald's their clubhouse is going to be taken over by the evil businessman or something, and they have to rally the troops to put on a show so they can buy the property that their clubhouse is on. You know, like that that kind of ridiculous controversy. Man, conservatives really are so sensitive about that stuff. I mean, I've told uh, I've told this story a few times before, I think, but I mean, I'll never forget the very first movement conservative gathering that I attended. And I walked into my first session and I mean, I swear to God, there was a guy ranting about how Dr. Seuss and the Lorax was, you know, liberal propaganda that was trying to turn our children against, you know, oil companies and all the noble work they're doing. And, you know, I started laughing because I thought the guy was doing a bit, but it was deadly serious, completely deadpan delivery. Well, what a company like Disney is good at doing is, you know, all of its movies have to have like morals and lessons learned and they have to have a character arc. And the meaning of those morals and character arcs is taken from just sort of ambient received wisdom that's in the air. You know, if the Muppets are fighting an evil businessman who wants to take over their property, just ambient received wisdom that is that is general common sense knowledge is that uh, an evil businessman who wants to take over the Muppets historic studio is not somebody you would be sympathetic with because there are things more important than business, right? There's history, there's family. Friendship. Yeah, that's ambient received wisdom. Today, though, frankly, the Muppets would probably be like teaming up with Elon Musk to go to Mars or something. Yeah, and you know, as we'll see in this Lightyear movie, Lightyear also traffics in general received ambient wisdom to build its narratives around. Now, on a different note, as as to this grooming business, I mean, uh, the Disney company over the last decade, they've seen the same charts and graphs that the Democrats have seen. <laughs> They've seen the charts and graphs that say America is becoming more diverse. Uh, The Republican coalition will not last. And you are going to have to create entertainment that appeals to a more diverse America. And so what is... So so after Obama's first victory in 2008, they were like, okay, the winds are blowing this way. And uh, 10 years from now, we need to to be ahead of the curve. And we need to have culture that, you know, reflects this new America. So what has Disney done? In 2015, when they made their Beauty and the Beast remake, their 
live action remake with Emma Watson, they introduced their first canonically gay character. That was LeFou, played by Josh Gad. And Sorry, you, who's, who's LeFou? Is LeFou the candle? Like no, that French candle? No, LeFou is Gaston's funny sidekick. LeFou <laughs> w- was made a canonically gay character. And you may be wondering, well, how did that manifest itself in the Beauty and the Beast remake? Well, it, the, it didn't probably really. No, in the final dance sequence for like two seconds, you see him dance with a man. Right. So there you go. And then a year or two later, a little movie called Avengers Endgame comes out. And in one of the early scenes, so in the previous Avengers movie, the villain had destroyed half the world. He'd killed half the people in the world. And so in in the first scene or the second scene of the next movie, there's like a support group, a grief counseling group where you see a bunch of people in a circle. And one of them is a man who's talking about the husband that he lost. Right. So that was the first gay character in a Marvel movie. You see, there are just so many historic firsts happening. So many historic wins for representation. <laughs> so many historic, like, two seconds of a nod at something in a in a movie. And can I just say, there had never been a film by or about gay people before that moment. Never in the whole history of, of cinema had there ever been a movie that dealt in gay themes until Avengers Endgame came along. Well, I actually think there's an important observation to be made there, which is that, you know, when those when these things get written up, these, you know, very like tokenistic nods to inclusion or whatever, when those get written up in many cases, it, it's explicitly talked about like, this is the first time this has happened in X universe, or this is the first time this has happened in a product that, X, you know, that's come from X, X or Y company. And what that essentially means is that's the first time it's happened happened that it's mattered right that's the ideology that's at work there it's like yes there have been there's been historic representation in say independent film for (laughs) decades decades. or or just in mainstream culture before there were only like two companies that owned all of it right so i don't know 50 (laughs) years after boys in the sand came out now we're now we're finally getting half a second of a man dancing in a disney movie and we're all supposed to be like oh isn't that uh, wonderful and so this is related to what i was talking about before uh vis-a-vis something like Space Jam, A New Legacy, where corporate monopolism has now gone so far, particularly in entertainment, it's now so extensive and so, uh, well, monopolistic that the corporation uh, is itself kind of written into the text of the film, not even so much as subtext anymore, just as text. So anyway, for us, this may not seem like a real triumph of of representation. However, for the right, it is. It is. This is actually so dangerous. The, the, the people who really care about this and who really think this is a triumph of representation are the right. And this new movie, Lightyear, has a same-sex relationship in it. Buzz Lightyear's best friend in the the Star Academy or whatever the fuck it's called. Star Command. Star Command. Get it right. She is in a same-sex marriage and there's a montage where we see her get older, we see her, her child get older, and at one point we see her kiss her same-sex partner. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. It's so quick that you barely, like, you barely, you might, you could easily miss it. Like, it's it's really barely in the movie. And so I was actually kind of surprised by that because, you know, the right-wing moral panic about this movie is so histrionic. I kind of was actually expecting, like, a little more. And if anything, Disney Pixar should be criticized for kind of trying to have their cake and eat it too because, you know, that's, like, barely in the movie. And, and it's a scene that can easily be cut and has been cut when the movie is showing in foreign markets. I think Saudi Arabia cut the scene, for example. So here's an article in CP24, one of our local publications here in Toronto. A Hamilton Elementary School planning a field trip to the movies this week deemed Disney's Pixar film Lightyear unsuitable for students due to, quote, 
questionable content, unquote, announcing a last-minute decision to see a different movie in a letter to parents. The animated Toy Story spinoff with main character Buzz, voiced by actor Chris Evans, contains the inclusion of a brief kiss between a lesbian couple. The field trip, organized by St. Clair of Assisi Catholic Elementary School in Hamilton, took place on June 22nd. The language, humor, and overall content of the film was age-inappropriate and not linked to the curriculum, a spokesman for the school board said. The language and the humor. Recently, Disney has faced protests from activists and its own staff over what they described as CEO Bob Chapek's slow response in publicly criticizing Florida legislation that opponents dubbed as the Don't Say Gay Bill. Also, just here's an article on CNN. A movie theater in Oklahoma has removed a warning sign it initially posted about a same-sex kiss in the new Disney Pixar film Lightyear. The notice outside the 89er theater in Kingfisher cautioned parents about a scene that depicts two female characters sharing a brief kiss. The management of this theater discovered, after booking Lightyear, that there is a same-sex kissing scene within the first 30 minutes of the Pixar movie, the sign read. We will do all we can to fast-forward through that scene, but it might not be exact. Barry Reed, one of the owners of the theater, told CNN that the sign had been removed and that the scene had not been censored in any showings. It was an internal mistake, and it's been corrected, he said. It won't happen again. By the way, just what I actually think happened there was that they couldn't fast forward through the file. Like, (laughs) I I don't think it's actually, it's not like a, you don't have a fucking VCR when you're running a movie theater. You get a DCP print, and I don't think it's quite as easy as just, oh, play, rewind. I think, and then also, I mean, I think think Disney has pretty strict rules about you can't censor the the movie if you rent it from us. Anyway, all of this is happening now, and uh, uh, I, I cannot help but predict that this, uh, you know, these triumphant strides for representation, you know, a, a, a dance here, a kiss there, a guy in a support group there, you know, if you don't like that, don't worry, you're not going to see it again for the next generation. Uh, I think Disney, I think there's a very good chance that Disney is done with this experiment for the next 10 or 15 years. Yeah, I certainly don't think Disney should be, uh, you know, invested in as the vanguard of uh, progress and inclusion. Let's get everyone home. From Disney and Pixar. Are we going to space? I can see stars. That is space. What is happening right now? She's afraid of space. What? She should be. It's horrible. On June 17th. Robot aliens have attacked. Here we go. Go to infinity and beyond. Hang on. Buzz! Ah! That was utterly terrifying, and I regret having joined you. Disney and Pixar's Lightyear. Rated PG. Only in theaters June 17th. Now, before we get into the uh, the substance of the movie and kind of our reading of it, and uh, boy, do I have a reading of this movie. I will just reiterate, I mean, the, the right-wing sort of moral panic around it, uh, I really was expecting something other than, you know, I thought the, the reasonably entertaining and pretty sweet children's film that we just went to see uh, for the show. Here's a tweet from a guy called Nick Adams. Uh, his bio on Twitter reads, best-selling author endorsed by President Trump, president of One Flag USA. So he's for the movie, is what you're <laughs> saying. He thinks it's good, and he liked the same-sex kiss. Uh, he, he tweeted... Lightyear is one of the most disgusting and woke movies to ever be created. They castrated Buzz Lightyear in the name of Marxism. They castrated Buzz Lightyear. Well, I mean, I agree that the castration scene probably shouldn't have been in a children's movie. Well, first of all, Buzz Lightyear, he's a, t- he's a toy. He doesn't have genitalia. You know, I tried to make him have sex with Barbie, but it didn't, it didn't work. I just had to smash him together. <laughs> 
So just to get the obvious out of the way first, I mean, it's almost it's become a cliche at this point. Uh, these right wing moral panics about the most tepid gestures to inclusion that are, you know, filtered through a, you know, very opportunistic corporate calculus uh, before they ever make it to the screen. It's completely absurd. This is just a children's movie. And uh, I mean, I think I it sounds like I liked it a little more than you. I mean, it's fine. It's whatever. not it's not, you know, it's not for me. But I think this is a movie I uh, would have enjoyed quite a lot uh, if I was, you know, seven again or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Quality wise, I really don't have much to say about it. I think it's a it's a little soulless, but you know, whatever. It's for children. So for the first uh, maybe half of the movie, I was sitting there in a kind of growing state of anxiety because I really didn't see you know what we we're going to talk about. I was kind of waiting for the ideology of the film to appear. And like, then like, all of a sudden, like clockwork, <laughs> two thirds of the way into the movie comes the scene where they drop the ideology. And especially all Disney movies have that scene. They have the scene where the lesson of the movie, where the stakes, the moral quandary of the movie is delivered by the characters. And I could see Luke next to me light up like a pinball machine and start vibrating <laughs> oh, in his seat grinning. When, when that scene happened I was like alright here we go you know to infinity and beyond. So I will give you my plot synopsis for Lightyear. <laughs> so first of all what you need to know about this movie is that this is not an ordinary movie. This movie came out in 1995 and this is the movie that your favorite character Andy saw. From from the, the kid from the original Toy Story. So he went to the movie theater and it was between this and Batman Forever and uh, <laughs> Dangerous Minds with Michelle Pfeiffer and Il Postino. And uh, he wasn't sure which one of those to see, and he decided to see this one. And thank God he did, because this this movie that we're watching now in 1995 lit up his imagination. Yeah, it inspired a line of toys. This movie was so <laughs> ahead of its time, he thought. It's like I can I can almost imagine that this movie is like being beamed in from the future. That's how cutting edge it is. <laughs> And, you know, when your favorite toy at home is Woody, who, you know, they, Disney couldn't make a movie out of the movie that Woody was in. Yeah, Woody's that, problematic. Well, Andy... And, he comes from Westerns, which are a problematic genre. You know, his Andy's favorite movie before was a movie with Woody called The Searchers, where <laughs> where Woody, his, his daughter in that movie is abducted by an indigenous tribe, and he spends two hours, like years, looking for her. And then when he finally finds her, his racism has overwhelmed him so much that he can't look at his daughter the same way and he almost he lifts her up he almost kills her but then he then he can't and then at the end of the movie the door shuts on Woody symbolically to signify that it's like he, he's a great man but he's a man out of time he can't go further <laughs> And, you know, you can understand why Disney didn't make that movie. Instead, they focused on the more upbeat uh, story of Buzz. So so importantly, just to reiterate, since that was a mixture of irony and real exposition, when this movie begins, uh, there's this kind of framing device uh, where, you know, some text on the screen appears and it's like, in 1995, you know, a young Andy saw a movie that inspired the Buzz Lightyear toy line and, and it lit up his imagination. This was that movie. Now, I should say, actually, uh, theater experience of this movie may vary, but there was actually a little uh, prologue uh, before that where Chris Evans and I think Keke Palmer, who's the other star of the movie, uh, they both appear in person on the screen and they sort of say, all right, folks, you made it. Uh, you've been waiting all this time to see uh, the Buzz Lightyear origin story. You waited in line, you got your popcorn, and now here it is. I think this may have been specific <laughs> to the Cineplex chain in Canada. There's an important fact to 
bookmark. Uh, this whole movie takes place as a movie within the world of Toy Story. So after the kind of cold open, the credits roll. Because this movie is a movie within a movie that came out in 1995, what that means is that Disney Pixar exists in 1995. Which is also an important detail because Pixar wasn't actually acquired by the Disney company, uh, I don't think, until 2006. Yeah, well, as this movie shows us, there are various ways you can exploit like the space-time continuum. Well, so, yeah, so there are important uh, property rights implications for this, this framing device in the movie. Now, now, the story, so Buzz Lightyear is in Star Academy. And he's, Star Command! No, he's in Star Academy. And, and he's, he lands on a distant planet with all of his friends. Uh, you got Tito and, and Trevor and the gang. And they're all on this planet together. They're all wearing the iconic Buzz Lightyear outfit. And uh, they realize we can't get home from our home planet. So what, what do they do? They're smart. They're resourceful. They're like Matt Damon in The Martian. They build their own society on this planet, which becomes a bustling, huge society. Right, just like in The Martian, exactly. And throughout the whole time, Buzz keeps trying to find ways to go back to the home planet, to, to make space, time, etc., such that he can go back to his home planet. But every time he does his trick with his plane, every time he does his space trick where he goes through several uh, holes and hoops, uh, he travels ahead in time four years. What he feels is two minutes. So he does it over and over and over again. And in that time, he sees all of his friends age dramatically, uh, share kisses with members of the same gender. Well, one, one time for half a second. Finally, he keeps doing this so many times uh, that everyone he knows is dead and they are replaced by Ed Harris and Top Gun Maverick. And Ed Harris and Top Gun Maverick says, Lightyear, your kind is out of date. Your kind is obsolete. We're done thinking big. We're thinking small now. We're going to stay on this planet. We're going to build a big shield, kind of like in the Simpsons movie, over the planet that will keep all of us in and keep everything else out. Because... The days of future exploration are over. Again, you know, there's something about this that kind of captures the spirit of the times we're in now that I'm sure to Andy in 1995 felt. Kind of amazing to see this sort of, like, future dystopian vision. But Buzz Lightyear, like Maverick, realizes that the age of great men may be over soon, but not today, sir. And so he, he and his adorable robot cat socks, a shameless, shameless merchandising gimmick... <laughs> Uh, that worked on me. I thought Socks was very cute. I liked the scene where Socks uh, went on its back and they pet its little tummy. Uh, yeah, it worked on me. I'm not made of stone. I liked Socks. <laughs> but Buzz and Socks, they steal a jet plane or whatever it's called, a spaceship. <laughs> And, and they fly into the future, and they actually succeed this time. This time they actually go into the future, and they go back to their home planet, which is now uninhabited uh, except by uh, four volunteer spacemen, one of whom is the daughter of his old friend, the one who had the same-sex kiss. Granddaughter. Granddaughter. That's how far in the future we are now. So they hey, Can I interject for a second? I mean, this is very funny, but... This, we... this is an accurate plot synopsis. All right, well, I'm just going to interject into that uh, very lucid plot synopsis, which I'm now going to need to duplicate a little bit because about <laughs> half of that was uh, was accurate. Well, I, it's ecstatic truth. It captured a truth <laughs> that was deeper than the truth. <laughs> 
But so, uh, yeah, as uh, as Will was just saying in that uh, very lucid summary, the plot of this movie is that, uh, yeah, Buzz Lightyear and the large crew of uh, this ship, which I guess is exploring space, they crash land on this planet. And then because of a mistake he makes, just a piloting error, they're unable to escape. So they decide that they're going to figure out uh, how to manufacture uh, the fuel cell they need to power the hyperdrive so that everyone can escape the planet. And this was the part where I was starting to nod off a bit. This was... <laughs> <laughs> this was when you're in the weeds of this movie. Right. Uh, I mean, 10, 10, 10 or 15 minutes in, which is which is where we've gotten to. So as you were saying, they basically create this whole kind of uh, civilization as they're trying to manufacture the fuel. And Buzz Lightyear does a number of these kind of test flights where he's trying to figure out if they can make the fuel cell, make the hyperdrive work. And can I just say, this is not Buzz Lightyear the toy. This is Buzz Lightyear the man. This, <laughs> yeah, this is Buzz Lightyear the fictional character within the movie. That, that the is... toy was based on. <laughs> and that, by the way, folks, that is why he's not voiced by Tim Allen. Yeah. It's not for any other reason. It's not that Chris Evans is a bigger star than Tim Allen now. It's not that Tim Allen is a Republican. Which, that, oh yeah, I can't believe we didn't mention that. That's that's another fulcrum of the culture war here, is that right-wing conservatives with their endless persecution complex. Yeah, they took Last Man Standing off the air and they made this instead. They, they, think, they think they're doing a cancel culture on Tim Allen by taking away his trademark character from him. But so uh, Buzz Lightyear does a number of these test flights and they involve kind of going around the sun in a slingshot um, which I guess is kind of an old sci-fi device. The movie, by the way, is peppered with these sort of, I guess, kind of subtle but but obvious references to different, you know, sci-fi universes. There's a few Star Wars references, reference to Alien, that kind of thing. But in the act of going around the sun in this slingshot, you know, minutes pass for him and, and years pass for everyone else. It's kind of like an interstellar. And when Christopher Nolan made Interstellar in 2014, in the universe of this movie, he was ripping off <laughs> Lightyear. <laughs> That's right. Interstellar was a, was a ripoff of the classic 1995 feature film Lightyear. So uh, finally, uh, one of these test flights succeeds, uh, but then because uh, it succeeds, you know, Buzz jumps uh, 25 years in the future or something like that. Everyone he knew is passed on and their ancestors are there instead. And then most of the film is occupied with them uh, trying to get the fuel cell from the new adversaries, which are these aliens who have, uh, you know, invaded the planet. And it was at this point that I realized I was actually going to have, you know, an interpretation of this movie to offer. All right, folks, who had the better plot synopsis, me or Luke? Who who told you what you needed to know? (laughs) All that shit with the fuel cell or all that. (laughs) Who cares about the fuel cell? Matters is he's on one planet, then he goes to another planet. He's got friends on that planet and he's got a, a fun mechanical cat on that planet uh and who else is on that planet is uh lord xenu the villain (laughs) and we all know him from from toy story and it's interesting that general zod the the famous villain from toy story we've known him for 25 years or 30 years however long it's been since toy story we've always known that buzz lightyear had this sinister villain but what we haven't known until now was that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself that's right Inside that helmet is Buzz Lightyear. Yes, an older version of Buzz Lightyear who made it to this planet long before the younger Buzz Lightyear did. So Buzz Lightyear meets himself. And what does he do? Does he try to have sex with himself? Which, which, is, which is what any normal person would do. No, he doesn't. Uh, because older Buzz Lightyear is explaining to young Buzz Lightyear what his plan has been. You see, this version of Buzz Lightyear 
uh, didn't see his old friends grow up. He never met the granddaughter of, of his old friend who lived life on that other planet. What he wants to do is he's mastered space and time such that not only can he go forward in time, but now he can go back. Right. So this second Buzz Lightyear has been created through a kind of temporal paradox uh, during the successful hyperspace flight. And the, the other point about this, this new older Buzz Lightyear, this clone Buzz Lightyear, is that he's also racked with guilt because his pilot error is what got everyone stuck on the planet. And so his motivation for wanting to go back in time is actually very selfish because he's he's racked with guilt and he wants to uh, expunge that guilt. Now, this is where I realized that there was, in fact, an interpretation of this movie. Because young Buzz Lightyear has gotten over his desire to change the past. He's realized that he and all his friends have made lemonade out of lemons on this planet. They've given birth to wonderful new daughters and granddaughters. Daughters and granddaughters who will become spacemen just like them. And isn't that a wonderful thing? Right. And I mean, let's think about what what are the implications of uh, going back in time? Well, it's not just that Buzz Lightyear gets his guilt expunged. No, the motivation of this new dark Buzz Lightyear, who's, you know, uh, actually the evil Emperor Zurg, which, by the way, seems like a bit of a twisting, a torquing of the original uh, Toy Story mythology, but I won't complain Wait, about that uh, No, I'll, I'll complain about that. I think I think it takes a lot of nerve for them to say that that General Zurg the whole time that we saw, like Andy would have told us in the first movie, <laughs> If General Zurg was actually Buzz Lightyear, that's a huge twist. A- Andy would not have been calling him General Zurg. He'd have been calling him Old Buzz. Did Andy not see the end of the movie? I don't understand what's happening here, Buzz. You've changed, and not for the better. No! You can't do this. You're going to erase it all. <laughs> exactly. No, you're going to take away everything. People's families, their friends. My friends. They have lives on that planet. Everyone does, except for us. I hardly recognize you, Buzz. All these new ideas. You know what? We'll go ahead and erase those two. But so what is the implication of uh, going back in time? Everything gets erased, right? The sort of softly inclusive woke backstory gets erased. And the evil Buzz Lightyear actually has this little monologue where he's like, we can go back before we even knew any of that stuff existed. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't quite say that, but he basically says that. And confronted with this dilemma, the new Buzz Lightyear, the Buzz Lightyear who's an ally, he decides he, he doesn't, he doesn't want to do that. And then in the final sequence of the movie, uh, things just kind of resolve themselves. They defeat Zerg. Ed Harris from Top Gun uh, turns Buzz Lightyear into the king of the Navy, and he gives him his own special slot where he can train a team. But he says, nope, I've already got my team. It's this ragtag band of misfits and mechanical dogs that have uh, guided me for the whole time. And then they go off to infinity and beyond for their next adventure. And they decide to uh, stay on the planet, I guess, where they built this uh, new and more inclusive civilization. So in terms of the reading of the movie, I mean, I think I've, I've offered about half of it just now. The two Buzz Lightyears, you know, they represent different sides of the culture. There's one that is open-minded and inclusive, and then there's one who literally wants to turn back the clock. You know, he's MAGA, or he's, you know, Ron DeSantis, or or he's... he's or a, he's the white working class <laughs> who, who is a class reductionist. Well, and, and I think there's a reading of him where he represents sort of like pre-woke period in the culture... 
you know, he's the Buzz Lightyear who doesn't want to do privilege checking. But the thing is, this is only half the interpretation because we need to put it in a context of what the framing device of this movie is. Because don't forget, this movie didn't come out. Because <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this movie didn't come out in 2022, right? In the world of the movie, to be somewhat convoluted about it, it came out in 1995. So the villain in the movie is someone who wants to wind back the clock to the pre-woke era of 1995, which is funny because what the movie actually does is wind back the clock so that Disney was inclusive in 1995. <laughs> <laughs> So far from indicting uh, reactionary elements in the culture, what Disney is actually doing is rewriting history so that it not only owned Pixar in 1995, but was pumping out inclusive films with diverse casts, which, which we know is definitely not the case. <laughs> So I think in some ways, this is kind of the, the superlative uh, intellectual property film that has been made yet, because it is a film which has this, you know, as we said, pretty uh, tepid and qualified message of inclusion that has these, you know, pretty symbolic and token gestures at inclusion, all of which are contained within the membrane of Disney's own self mythology. This movie is really about Disney using hyperspace to go back in time and rewrite the last 25 years or so, such that it was on the right side of history, and more importantly, such that it owned Pixar and was an even bigger monopoly. That's the most important part of the fantasy. <laughs> Just to close out this episode, a couple episodes ago, we were talking about Super Mario and his various incarnations and his, his various film and TV spinoffs, really just his film spinoffs. We didn't get into the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, which is my favorite. <laughs> By the way, I can still I can sing the theme. We're the Mario Brothers and plumbing's our game. We're not like the others who get all the fame. If you think is in trouble, you can call us on the double. We're faster than the others. You'll be hooked on the brothers. I never saw that show. Yeah, didn't I sound like Bullworth there? <laughs> we do have an update just to close things out about the upcoming animated Mario movie. Yeah, we're dealing with very important issues on this episode. Again, continuing the scourge of blandly handsome actors named Chris uh, monopolizing all of our iconic children's roles. Uh, Chris Pratt is doing the voice of Mario. And by the way, Chris Pratt isn't Italian. He's of Norwegian descent. But, but you know, anyway. Can, can, I, can I just interject to say I have an article about the movie in front of me and there's a paragraph that says, for those unaware, Pratt portrays Mario in the film and much the biggest buzz around the film is centered on his voice. Some have expressed concern about a non-Italian playing an Italian character and the voice potentially being offensive. While the film's co-producer described Pratt's performance as phenomenal, so I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Was Bob Hoskins Italian? I know he was British, but maybe he was of some Italian descent. I don't know. Folks, write in. Was Bob Hoskins Italian? Well, wait till people find out that some of the actors uh, on The Sopranos weren't even Italian. Well, anyway, the headline of the Variety article, and I think it's the last word of this that really makes it, is Chris Pratt says his Super Mario Brothers voice is, quote, unlike anything you've ever heard in the Mario world, unquote, exclusive. <laughs> According to Chris Pratt, his voice performance as Mario will be unlike anything you've heard. Variety got a chance to catch up with Pratt at the Wednesday night premiere of his new Amazon Prime video series, The Terminal List. More on that later. God, there are just so many fucking movies Why and TV shows. Why are there so shows. many things? I can't, you know, back in my day, back in Andy's day, 
We just what we had was the movies where your choices were uh, the Buzz Lightyear movie, Mall Rats, uh, Major Pain, or Tuong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Those were your <laughs> options. And then on TV, you could go home and watch a real man, Tim Allen, on ABC's Home Improvement. Yeah, or you could just uh, you know watch Toy Story again and experience a proper uh, avatar of masculinity, unlike what we have today. Uh, however, uh, Illumination Entertainment's Chris Melodonry defended Pratt's casting and vowed that his voice work is phenomenal and says that Mario's voice has been updated. Pratt says, I worked really closely with the directors and trying out a few things and landed on something that I'm really proud of and can't wait for people to see and hear. It's an animated voiceover narrative. It's not a live action movie. I'm not going to be wearing a plumber suit running all over. I'm providing a voice for an animated character, and it is updated and unlike anything you've ever heard in the Mario world before. So, I mean, what could that be? Well, I can't wait for the film to come out and have the voice be totally unlike the original Mario voice and conservatives, you know, start a moral panic. About it. Like, <laughs> this is not... They've castrated Mario in the name of Marxism. <laughs> There's a star man waiting in the sky. He'd like to come and meet us, but he thinks he'd blow our minds. There's a star man waiting in the sky. He's told us not to blow it, because he knows it's all worthwhile. He told me, let the children lose it. Let the children use it. Let all the children boogie. Bye.